gates open, off and Stiley Sensory stayed in the gate. There's Bo Rogue being set alight immediately by Cyril Small and racing to the lead. But Bo Rogue won't give up, he's still in front. Groucho's grabbing him now. Groucho coming at Bo Rogue, don't play, getting a rails run. Bo Rogue in front, he's got a heart as big as himself. He'll win, Bo Rogue! This podcast is brought to you by Racing New South Wales, Sky Racing and the High Gang Group. Talk to any country owner or trainer and they'll tell you the Tab Highway concept is bigger than the Everest. As soon as a horse strikes form in a country region, the trainer starts thumbing through the Racing New South Wales monthly magazine looking for a suitable Tab Highway at Randwick or Rose Hill. The owners of those horses can't wait to spend a weekend in the city and many of them are constantly trying to source the right kind of horse for future highways. A highway win has become a badge of honour for bush trainers who now have the opportunity to stand in the winner's circle on a major Sydney track. Most weeks the highways prove to be great betting mediums and the stories they produce for journalists and commentators are never-ending. There's often an entertaining yarn to come out of the weekly tab highway. The midways cater for city and provincial stables whose horses meet the criteria. The tab highways are plainly and simply for the bushies. From the Riverina to the Western Districts, from the Hunter Valley to the Northern Rivers and the Tablelands, and all points in between, there are highway horses awaiting the call. When James Heddo tendered his resignation from the Australian Turf Club's executive team in July of 2020, He was bringing down the curtain on a 33-year career in racing administration, 33 years in which he diligently served five major race clubs. It was a time in his life when James felt in need of a complete change of direction. From horse racing to lawn bowls is a pretty significant change of direction. James became CEO of the Terrigal Bowling Club on the New South Wales Central Coast, a locality which has been very much a part of his life. As much as he was enjoying his new life in the hospitality industry, he was soon aware of the withdrawal symptoms that devout racing people experience when horses are taken out of their lives. His addiction to the racing game was rekindled the moment he heard the Hawkesbury Race Club was looking for a CEO, a role he knew would fit him like a glove. On being offered the job, James, with mixed feelings, made the decision to leave the bowling club and the many friendships he'd forged with directors, staff and members. He returned to the familiar world of racing administration just weeks before the Hawkesbury Club was due to stage its popular standalone Saturday meeting. He was like a dog with two tails on the 30th of April as he presided over the Cup meeting and renewed acquaintances with many old friends. Let's catch up with the new CEO of the Hawkesbury Race Club, James Heddo. Welcome to the podcast, mate. Been a long time. Yeah, thanks very much, John. Very nice. I know you enjoyed your time at Terrigal, but you couldn't shake the racing bug, could you? No, that's very true. I um, I made a lifestyle decision and, and went back home to the Central Coast, and Terrigal's a beautiful spot um, for those that know it, and, and it really is was an idyllic, lovely lifestyle, but I found – 
you know, fairly quickly that I did miss racing and I thought that that feeling of missing racing would go away, but it actually got worse and worse as time went on. So mm. I'm very fortunate that an opportunity's come up and, and I'm able to come back to the racing industry. Well, you're now with one of Australia's oldest race clubs. They've been racing on that course at Clarendon since the mid-19th century. And one of their old signature races, the Rowley Mile, was first run in 1881. James, the whole locality is rich in colonial history. It certainly is, John, and and it is a strong, you know, a historically strong club. Um, I've been here on numerous occasions as a guest and as a punter and just as a race goer. So I am very familiar with with the race course and um, obviously Brian Fletcher is synonymous with the success here, John, and, and I know Brian very well. He's a great mate of mine. So, um, you know, when the opportunity came up to go to Hawkesbury um, or come to Hawkesbury as CEO, I spoke mm. to Brian and I spoke to a few people, but certainly it's a strong club with a with a long history, as you said, and I'm, I'm very proud to be here. The club embarked on a pretty extensive refurbishment of facilities about five years ago, and you're pretty impressed with them. Yeah, for sure. And look, that even started a little bit earlier when Brian was here. Um, some of the racing facilities, they extended the straight here and they um, put a poly track in for training. Mm. But certainly the customer facilities in the last five years um, that include the jockeys' rooms and, and some of the racing um, facilities that are required, but also there's a brand new terrace bar and some really lovely areas for people, um, members and guests who mm. can hire out on race days or, or book a function on non-race days. And it's become a very popular venue for both race day and non-race day. Mm. Major Sydney stables are starting to look at Hawkesbury as the best place for satellite stables. And you tell me three high profile trainers have already snapped up available accommodation. That's right, John. Um, John O'Shea, Annabelle Neesham and Michael Friedman all have satellite stables here. And I think that will expand dependent on the um, availability of stabling. Hawkesbury Race Club doesn't own any stabling itself. They're all privately owned on properties adjacent to the race course. Mm. Um, I do think that will probably expand in the next five to ten years the improvement in the roads means that we're very close. We're an hour from Randwick, so it's not you're not going miles out into the country. It's it's quite a very good location transport wise to get on the freeway, and you can go north, south, or straight into the city. Um, and I think that's very appealing. I think the poly track has certainly helped um, improve our training facilities for everyone that's here and mm. it's very nice idyllic country setting so I certainly can see more trainers looking at coming to Hawkesbury to um, set themselves up. A mm, couple of hundred horses currently are there in work there? That's right John, probably mm. oh, 250 maybe horses mm. but there's certainly ca- <coughs> sorry, certainly capacity to go to, to 400 or even more. Mm. Your journey in racing is a good story. You were visiting relatives once in Brisbane when your mum, Jean, decided to take you, your brother and your sister across the road to a Doombin race meeting. Now, you were 13 years of age and you didn't know a racehorse from a dromedary. 
<laughs> but you backed a winner that day by sheer accident, and this is a funny story. It's a great story, John. We, we'd go up most years up to Queensland where my mum's family lived, and my uncle Eric and Auntie Sylvia lived across the road from Doombin Racecourse for about 30 years. Um, and they always said they went once to see what all the fuss was about and that was it. So mm. we certainly had no history in racing in our family. But for whatever reason, one year we're up there Christmas holidays and mum decided to take myself and my younger brother and sister to the races. And um, I recall it very clearly, and I was only very young, but I um, one of my uncles, Rani, had given me a pair of um, plastic binoculars and <laughs> we're all set, you know, we thought we were experts and we went across and we had $2 on Chevelle de Belay. Yeah. Um, first bet we've had, and we were only early, and we sat up in the grandstand, and we could hear the race, and I had the binoculars out, but I couldn't see a horse anywhere, and <laughs> we heard the race, and um, <laughs> Chevelle de Belay won the race, and we went back down to the bookmaker, and we said, look, we think we backed the winner, but we didn't see a horse, and <laughs> he said, yeah, he said, um, congratulations, you've just backed the first winner in Sydney, and the races <laughs> in Doombin start in 20 minutes, so, so that was a great introduction, and uh, yeah. It's a true story, and we um, stayed the day, but that was it for me. I was hooked. Well, James, I'll tell you, the race you're talking about in Sydney was the 1978 Pago Pago Stakes. Cheval de Volley absolutely bolted in that day. He was trained at Hawkesbury by the recently retired Wade Slinkard. The jockey was Clary Buckley, father of modern-day successful jockey, Grant Buckley, and he was a smart horse, and he lived up to his name, Cheval de Volley, Horse of the Wind. Well, that's that's great, John. I didn't realise all of that, I, <laughs> but um, and I don't know why we would have backed it. I, I I don't know why we just would have seen it on the bookies board, and mm. who who would know why? But that's that's what happened, and um, you know that horse is um was the start of, I suppose, my, my journey in, in racing. And mm. I was only young, as I said, 1978. So, yeah, I was 13. and mm. and um, But for me then, I, I just wanted to be involved in the racing industry. A decade later, you successfully applied for a job with the Sydney Turf Club. Now, part of your role, James, was to attend Rose Hill track work every morning at 6 o'clock and gather nomination forms from all the local trainers for upcoming race meetings and barrier trials, and I can still see you standing behind a little counter in a tiny brick office right near the 1,800-metre gap where the horses went on and off the track, and they still do. You know, it's not that long ago, and yet they were still filling in those nomination forms by hand. Yeah, that's right, John. Look, they were great days, and 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 uh, yes, I'd start at six a.m. every morning, six mornings a week in that little hut, and um, there was certainly no mobile phones or computers or mm. or anything like that. Everything was done by hand, and and they'd fill out all the forms, and it was just a great time in my life, actually, and certainly my career. And I, I couldn't wait to get there each morning, and and. Mm. Um, I'd, I'd be there till maybe 8, 30, 9 o'clock in the morning and then I'd head into mm. um, Canterbury, which was the head office of Sydney Turf Club, mm. and I'd drop off all the Sydney Turf Club stuff and then three times a week I'd drive from Canterbury then to Randwick and I would um, drop off uh, certainly the AJC at the time with the principal club. There was no racing New South Wales, so mm. all my nominations for 
places like Gosford, Wyong, Hawkesbury, those places, um, the nominations would go through the AJC, mm. the stable returns, horse registration, gear changes, all went to Randwick. It was all run out of there. So mm. I drop all of that off, all, all, all paper and forms and handwritten, mm. drop, all, drop all that off, pick up the Sydney Turf Club uh, nominations, go back to Canterbury, mm. um, work until early afternoon, enter all of those entries within the racing office there and mm. work with the team there and and then head home and uh, it was really um you know it was different to what we do now but it was a fantastic grounding for myself to be involved and mm. you know be at the coalface so to speak every morning and mm. be a part of that racing industry at rose hill now james when you began attending rose hill track work in the late 1980s that place was a beehive there were several big stables going at the time at Rose Hill. Yeah, there certainly was, John. Brian Mayfield-Smith had just knocked off Tommy Smith after 33 years. Tommy had won it for 33 years and, and Brian Mayfield-Smith had, had beaten him there and he was at Rose Hill. We had Paul Sutherland, Doc Chapman, Jack and Alan Denham, um, Ray and Brian Gry, mm. Kerry and Chris Jordan, um, look, I'm going to miss a few. Barry Lockwood, Bruce Johnson, uh, Kim Moore at the mm. time, uh, maiden name was training there. And, and um, uh, you know, it was just a great time. Um, there's a real hive of activity um, at Rose Hill in the mornings. And, and look, they were training plenty of winners, plenty of high class horses, uh, winning all the big races. So it's it a great time for me just to be involved. There wasn't a trainer at Rose Hill who didn't hand you a nomination form over the counter at some stage. You knew them all and you formed special friendships with some of them, enduring friendships. One of them was with a man who wasn't noted for making friends. Yeah, look, Jack Denham was just fantastic to me and and we had a great relationship and he was certainly a different person to what he was portrayed in the media um i really enjoyed really enjoyed um you know when jack used to come in he, he was just old school and it was all new to me but um you know he 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 started from nothing and and went to the top and he did it his way. Mm. Um, he certainly wasn't out marketing himself or 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 tipping in the paper or doing interviews. He just trained winners and um, I really did enjoy. I got to know Jack very well and and I enjoyed you know the morning chats with him and and look, he's someone you could have a laugh with. He had a great sense of humour and, mm. and um, yeah, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was very pleased to have known him. Mm. Well, not only was Jack Denham a friend, but you also rate him the best trainer you've known during your 33 years in racing, and that might surprise a few. Yeah, no, to me, Jack was the best. He... Um, it was unbelievable, really, and and back in the day, they'd have those midweek welters at Canterbury, and he just win it every week. You know, he'd have mm. a horse there that just through the winter they'd just win races, and um, <clears throat> you know, I was very pleased for him. He, he didn't have the big expensive colts or, or anything like that, mm. I don't think, but um, certainly Masque won him a Golden Slipper and turned into a great sire. But um, I think what in my period there he had um. 
Natsuki got nosed in the Melbourne Cup and Falante sort of got nosed two Cox plates in a row. And mm. and um, I was very pleased for him when Might and Power came along. And, and uh, I, I'll tell you, John, when Might and Power won the Melbourne Cup, we all mm. thought he got beat. Um, Greg Hall went up on Doremus as if, you know, we all thought, oh, Doremus has got their last slot, last stride. Mm. And um, when Might and Power's number went up, we were all very happy for Jack. It was a great highlight, I think, of his career to win a Melbourne Cup. And then, of course, he, Might and Powell came back the next year and won a Cox Plate. So mm. um, I, I think that was obviously the pinnacle of Jack's training career to have a horse like that that, that mm. won those races and is a legend of Australian racing. But mm. bread and butter, week in, week out, Jack just trained winners. And mm. I remember when he won, John, you might recall when he won the Trainers' Premiership, um, he, I, I think Vic Thompson had been training for Inghams and halfway through the year um, that that partnership changed and mm. and so there was an opportunity for Jack to – he never had the big numbers like those bigger stables, but um, I think the last three Saturdays he might have trained four winners and three winners and four winners or something like that, you mm. know, yeah. just to get over the line and win the premiership. And it went down to the last Wednesday mm. – uh, and I think he was neck and neck, and he just had to train a winner, and or, or you know something happened on the Wednesday, went right mm. down to the wire, but he got up and won the trainers premiership, and I know he was very proud to have done that as well. Mm. Just before we leave Maiden Power, and, and as a reminder to all of his old fans, he won fifteen races, seven Group Ones, five point two million. Amazingly, James. His first Group 1 win was the Caulfield Cup. Well, there you go. I remember he was pretty well a certainty beat in the AJC Derby and he come out seven days later and he won the the, the race, the, the 2,000 metre, the Tullock, I think it is, and he won that easy and and um, – and, and But to think he was going to go on and win a Caulfield Cup by 10 or whatever it was and then a Melbourne mm. Cup, probably, you know, he, he still had a bit to go. And if you recall, John, he got beat in the Epsom mm. and he ran about midfield in the Epsom over a mile and then he backed him up a fortnight later, straight into 2,400 and he won by whatever it was, a big margin. And, yeah, no, he was a great horse and, and a great stayer. Um, you know, Jack certainly got the best out of the horse. You've got a short list of three all-time favourite horses. Might and Power is at the top of that list, but right there with him is a bonnie mare called Triskay. She won 15, just like Might and Power. She won five Group 1s, two Oaks, an Australian Guineas, a Flight Stakes and a Champagne Stakes. Now, you absolutely love that mare, Triskay. Yeah, she was a beauty. John, and uh, she did all that as a two- and three-year-old. I think she might have only had one start as a four-year-old and then was retired. So she was untouchable through that period. And these days you would never see a two- and three-year-old have as many starts, and, and she just kept winning races. Um, she'd win first up over 1,200 and, and go on and win an Oaks, you know. And mm. um, she was she was a bit unlucky in a golden slipper and, and Jack missed the size and went straight to the champagne over a mile and, and she mm. toughed out, won the champagne, came back first up as a three-year-old and won the uh, Silver Shadow, I think. I remember she just fell in and beat a horse called With Me that no one had heard of and mm. With Me went on to be one of the top sprinters of our time, of, of that time, so mm. won a couple of group ones. So, um, And then she went on and, and she won a 
AJC Oaks and a Queensland Oaks, I think. So mm. unbelievable career and she was just a fantastic horse that always tried her best and very nice for the white family that, that owned her. That I know they got a lot of enjoyment out of her as well and she was certainly a great filly, John. Yep, Jeff and Beryl White, uh, who bred and raced Triskay, uh, were enormously popular owners. And Mick Dittman, who rode her in most of her wins, was a, the absolute top of his game in that era. He has always been James Heddo's favourite jock. Yeah, that's right, John. And again, just going back to when I was at the STC and when I, I, I was working there from 88 to about 2000, through that period... Mick Dittman, uh, you know, he, again, he was the king, he was untouchable and he just won on things that people wouldn't, you know, no one else could win on and mm. and uh, he was great to watch, real professional. Uh, again, wasn't someone that was um, outrageous or boisterous or made outrageous statements, he just turned mm. up and rode winners and, yeah. and, yeah, he was a fantastic jockey. Your CEO during your 12 years with the Sydney Turf Club was Pat Parker who spent his entire working life with the STC. He started as an office boy, he became a long-term CEO and he retired with distinction in the 1990s. Yeah, Pat's always been very good to me and, and, and supported my career all the way through. He's a fantastic person, uh, loves his racing and very knowledgeable and, and did a great job at the Sydney Turf Club. Following Pat was Michael Kenny mm. as CEO and Michael as well was very good to me. Still is right through my career. I still see them at the races and, and um, you know, one thing about the Sydney Turf Club, once you were part of that that organisation, you were part of that organisation for life. And, I, uh, you know, I'm very proud to have started my career there and still have those relationships um, with Pat and with Michael. And I, I would like to mention John Nicholson as well, my racing manager mm. when I started. Um, fantastic to me, still is. I saw John at the races only three weeks ago. And um, like I said, I'm just very proud to have been a part of the Sydney Turf Club. Hmm. At the end of that 12 years, you felt good and ready to run a race club in your own right. You hoped an opportunity would come up, and one did come up with the Townsville Turf Club. You were there for five years, you loved the job, you loved the climate, and you absolutely uh, delighted in the many new friendships that you made. Yeah, that's right, John. I'd been at the Sydney Turf Club 12 years and I had a young family and I, I, I thought I was ready to run a race club and as it turned out, it was Townsville that came up. So they flew me up there on a Thursday and I stayed and they had a race day and I met the board and I, I enjoyed a race day uh, at Cluden Park and then I stayed the night and Alan Parry was chairman and, again, was very good to me. And he drove me around and showed me around after the races, dropped me off. I stayed at the casino and he said, James, just have a walk around by yourself. It was probably mm. October 2000. Mm. Have a walk around and, and um, you know, just see what you think. And it was just beautiful, John, that, you know, at that time. And Townsville's a lovely place on the water and um, beautiful climate. So... Um, the next morning, Alan picked me up and and um, took me 
for a, a, a bit of an interview and a chat and as it turned out they offered me the job which i accepted mm. and it was all very exciting but i do have to admit that as i was flying home my mind was racing and i thought god what the hell have i done you know but <laughs> it all it all turned out well it was a big move for the family but they're very supportive and and um we loved it there yeah mm. for sure it's great great time there was one special racehorse in townsville at that time by the name of Party King and he's in the record book as the winner of the Townsville Cup in three consecutive years, 2000 with Chris Whiteley and 2001 and 2002 with the late Keith Marnie. His form was patchy going into that third cup but you tell me everybody in the joint wanted him to win. Yeah, look, that was fantastic to be a part of. And I got to know the owners and 2002, the build-up, I'd been there a couple of years then in Townsville and the build-up was all about Party King, but his form had tapered off and he really wasn't expected to win. I don't think he'd won a race between his second Townsville Cup and, as it turned out, his third Townsville Cup. So I think he was 33 to 1 on the day, or very big odds. And mm. But, of course, you know, they get eight or 10,000 there for the Townsville Cup and, a lot of once-a-year punters, and, and and they all wanted to have something each way on Party King, and and you wouldn't believe it. He sailed down the outside and got the money, and the place went berserk, and <laughs> and um, it was just a great weekend. And it was just a perfect name for Townsville, perfect race um, for Party King to win three years in a row, and um, I remember that night and even through the next week, the, the Party King, the, everyone was buzzing and it was just great to be a part of. Mm. Well, at the end of your five years, you were probably just about ready for a change and you're talking to a mate, Paul Carroll, on the phone one day. Paul was the CEO of the Geelong Racing Club in Victoria and he told you about an opportunity that may be coming up with another strong Victorian club. That's right. Paul Carroll's been a great mate of mine through the Sydney Turf Club days. He'd worked at Sydney Turf Club as well, and he, at that time, he was CEO of Geelong. He'd moved on and CEO of Geelong and um, Race Club. He'd rung me. We, we'd keep in touch, and he rung me one day and, and just mentioned there's a, a possibility of a good job coming up in Bendigo if I was interested. I'd be a good step up and a little bit closer to home, a bit closer to Sydney, and you go a good, strong club. So um, one thing led to another, and as it turned out, they interviewed me, the board interviewed me by Skype um, up in Townsville mm. um, in 2005. I'd been in Townsville five years, and I, I thought I'd probably done as much as I could do there, and the place it was going quite well. And, and so they interviewed me by Skype, and as it turned out, I got the job without ever having stepped foot in Bendigo. So that was an interesting experience. It was another one of those things when you get the job and you think, God, what have I done? Because it was a massive move from Townsville to Bendigo. But again, the family was very supportive and and um, I, I left on good terms with the Townsville Turf Club board and um, they understood that it was just part of, of, of you know, my career and, and, and trying to work my way through through the grades, you could say. Mm. Um and um, they, they were very good. And I've still got very good relationships with, with some of those guys that were on the board in, in Townsville. We're still um, great mates with a couple of them, actually. And But certainly the move to Bendigo was a good move, and, and we really, again, enjoyed our time there. 
You had the good fortune to work with a great chairman and a great bloke at Bendigo in Brendan Dressler, who's passionate about anything he takes on. Yeah, that's right, John, and and I, I understand that you're you're good mates with Brendan as well, and he is very passionate, and he really sold Bendigo to me when I went there. He he loved the place and the region, and 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 loved racing, and um, you know, I was only there three years, and in that three years, I think we did a, a pretty good job, and and the main thing, um, we we started a process looking at our Bendigo Cup, which happened to be on the Wednesday, eight days after the Melbourne Cup, and Brendan was very passionate about bringing the Bendigo Cup forward, so it was before the Melbourne Cup, um, and and he was right in that. Probably once the Melbourne Cup and that week's gone, it's a little bit of an afterthought, mm. the Bendigo Cup. So he was very keen to have it as a, a lead-up run into the Melbourne Cup and certainly for the crowd and, and for the community, there's a bit more of a buzz leading up to the event rather than the Melbourne Cup event rather than after the event in Victoria. So we started the process and and uh, at one stage we were told in, in pretty no uncertain terms, you know, the by, by the hierarchy that we were no hope and all those sorts of things. But Brendan's not a guy that would easily give up and I was very pleased that probably a year after I left, the Bendigo Cup date was moved and it now is the Wednesday, six days before the Melbourne Cup and I think that's a very good thing. Mm. Brendan's wife, Pam, is a very devoted harness racing devotee. I had the great fortune to train uh, three or four paces for Pam some years ago Brendan's the thoroughbred man. He has a real soft spot for the jumpers, and Pam is the standard bred girl. Uh, but they're always able to reconcile their differences. Yeah, they're a lovely couple, and 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 two lovely boys who who are probably grown up now. But um, yeah, they both had a great life, enjoying racing, and and um, yeah, Pam is very passionate about the harness racing and. And and look, Brendan loves all 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 the industry, and uh, you know he's on the country racing Victoria board now, and I'm certainly he's doing a great job there. You've always had a soft spot for the New South Wales Central Coast. You still live there, in fact. And after three Bendigo winters, you pricked your ears when you got wind of the news that the Gosford Race Club was scouting for a new CEO. Now, James, we'll talk about that very important phase in your life when we clear this commitment on the Supernova Sound podcast. Trainers strive to have horses spot on for race day. Fuel cells up, the right mental state, the right fitness levels. Equally important is the horse's capacity to recover quickly from racing and track work. The aim is to give owners every opportunity to win optimum prize money by keeping a horse in training for as long as possible. High Gain Recuperate is a powerful blend of electrolytes, B-group vitamins and vitamin E in paste form which can be administered after fast work and in the days leading up to a race to assist recovery. 30 mil of Recuperate drawn from the 500 mil bulk pack is the economical alternative to individual electrolyte and vitamin paste syringes. High Gain Recuperate powers performance and recovery. Visit the High Gain website and use promo code johntap.racing to receive 15% off your next Recuperate purchase. Well, you obviously relished your role at Gosford because you stayed for eight years and during that time you went far beyond racing administration. 
you learned a whole new set of skills there, didn't you? Uh, I certainly did at, at Gosford Race Club. Um, we after a after a couple of years, we uh, working with the board on a strategic plan, and, and and we really focused on looking at what we could do at the venue on non-race day events. Um, certainly, rather than just be a race club, we wanted to be more than just a race club, mm. and that led to a rebranding to the entertainment grounds, mm. um, where we used our venue for for concerts, carrying camping shows, weekly markets really became a big wedding venue on the coast. It was very successful. It still is very successful. Mm -hmm. uh, it was a great initiative that we did in that, you know, at that time, through that period, there's a lot of talk about Gosford Wyong amalgamating and and I know people have to look forward and, and look to the future, but there was a, a little bit of risk that our venue might get left behind at Gosford and we felt that by utilising the venue as often as we could and bringing people to the venue that wouldn't normally come because we were just a racing venue, mm. we're able to attract a much wider audience and a much stronger foothold in the community. Mm. Um, and we certainly have been able to achieve that. The tight little track at Gosford still draws criticism from time to time, but I think the club has made it work for them because the viewing is intimate, it's spectacular from the grandstand or up on the hill there, and a lot of horses get around the track well. In fact, for everyone that can't handle Gosford, there are three or four who can, and the punters quickly sort them out. Yeah, that's right, John. Look, I always use the analogy about, you know, compared to the Formula One racing, and they travel all around the world, but, you know, they go to a different track in every country. Not every track's the same, and some tracks suit some cars and some tracks suit others, and certainly with Gosford, it is a, a, a shorter straight than, than normal and uh, a tighter track, but there are some horses that it suits, and I'm very pleased for them that they have their standalone um Saturday now. It's the second year in 2022 that they've had it. And I think that's recognition that the club is going well and and, and really promoting racing well outside, you know, and other outside events as well. So um, certainly the fields are good both years. They have a half million dollar race now, the coast, and, you know, everything's going well there. And I'm pleased to have started that process. The goal of any aspiring racing administrator is to ultimately work for a major metropolitan club. And the experience that you'd garnered over all those years catapulted you into the role of Executive General Manager of Racing Services with the Australian Turf Club, looking after business, racing and training across four <coughs> metropolitan venues. It was a pretty busy five years there. Yeah, that's right, John. Look, the early 2016, the opportunity came up to go to the Australian Turf Club. And um, I have to admit, I, when I left Sydney Turf Club, I always hoped one day that I, I'd be able to come back and be the racing manager when John Nicholson retired. You know, that was mm -hmm. my dream. Racing manager at Sydney Turf Club would be my dream job. And 2011, when Sydney Turf Club and Australian Jockey Club amalgamated, I thought, well, that's gone now and I'm happy at Gosford at the time and, and uh, but that going to a metro, you know, going to the Sydney Turf Club back home, so to speak, that's gone. So mm. I, um, when that opportunity came up in 2016, I did think about 
you know, there was a thought that should I just stay at Gosford, but those opportunities don't come up, John, often. And, no. and um, you know, it was. I just thought if I, I could go there and do a good job, I, that would be the pinnacle of my career, and it was. It really was. It was a tremendous time, and, I, I, again, I, I, I worked with good people, and, and uh, it was a very enjoyable time for me. Mm. For one full year in that five-year span, you were acting CEO, managing an operation that at the time boasted a staff of about 280 and an annual turnover of about $270 million. As Sir Edmund Hillary said, geez, I've made it to the top of the mountain. Yeah, John, look, it's an interesting one where when I went to the Australian Turf Club, I felt that the racing job was my job and probably I'd never be able to run, a, 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 you know, a big club like that. I'd run race clubs, but certainly I thought I felt the Australian Turf Club would be, you know, a, a massive job that, you know, I'd be better off staying in racing, but the racing side of it. But over that 12 months, there was a fair overhaul of the, the whole management team and, uh you know, I was executive general manager of racing, but through and whilst I was acting CEO, there was no executive general manager of commercial. That was me, and there was no executive general manager of property. That was me, and there was no executive general manager of, of membership and customer service. That was me. So, mm. so I pretty well, I was pretty hectic twelve months, but I really enjoyed it. I did get through it, and um, um, looking back, it probably took its toll a little bit, um, but. Through that, uh, it was very exciting and, and uh, I certainly enjoyed that period. I read somewhere that looking back now, you regard the delivering of a trouble-free Kensington track as a special moment. It had a few teething problems early in the piece, didn't it, when it was first launched in 2013? Yeah, it did and it, it had two or three goes, I think, when I got there and, and board was very good then to say look we just have to get this track right and full credit to Lindsay Murphy there he um he uh you know stepped in and said look this is what I think we have to do and it cost a bit of money uh to fix it up but certainly with Lindsay overseeing the the refurb um we've got it right now and it's a very valuable track for Randwick to have an inner track but also for the industry and it was very well supported by Racing New South Wales through that period as well to get that track right but um, it's you know it was important we got it right and it is now. You also participated in the careful management of the Winks phenomenon. Now from the time it was obvious this mayor was going to set world records the whole production had to be carefully handled. It was a job in itself. It was a massive job and, and uh, Chris Waller was very good through that period. So the whole lead up about her track work and when she galloped, where she galloped, any barrier trials, um, you know, we it was really important that we got everything right and things can happen through no one's fault with horses, as we all know, but it, it's amazing that she had such a, a trouble-free and or an, an incident-free preparation, or over many years, but certainly mm. that last preparation. And um, if you recall, John, Chris did a special 
Winks track work gallop one Saturday morning at Randwick and uh, bring Winks out and we galloped on the course proper. Mm. John, we got a couple of thousand people there just Good. to watch a car out. And Chris was talking to the public, mm. taking photos, selfies, all sorts of things, and mm. Huey Bowman as well. And it was just fantastic to be a part of it. Never seen anything like it in my working career. And no. to be a part of that last day, and I certainly can't take you know, credit for that last day at Randwick. It was the whole team of the Australian Turf Club. We had over 40,000 people at Randwick and the whole team, the board, the management and the staff there at Australian Turf Club, you know, can all be proud of the fact that that was a worldwide significant event that'll be talked about forever, really, in racing. And Mm. her last run, you know, whilst we all thought she would win, John, she still had to do it. And when Mm. she hit the front at the 300 and careered away, it was um, Mm. just a fantastic moment. Yeah, just before she careered away, though, you might remember for one fleeting moment, about a hundred out, that Japanese horse, Kluger, looked dangerous. Even Tommy Berry, who rode him, thought the same thing. For one incredible moment, Tommy thought, I've got her. <laughs> but it well, was very we all fleeting. remember Octagonal and last mm. run, I think Monroe as well, I think both their last runs. So, yeah. um, But, look, she was a freak horse, 33 in a row there and, um, you know, obviously was world class. And, yeah, look, it was all theatre, great theatre and, and great photos of, of Chris and Chris and um, Huey after the race looking back into the grandstand with their hands, you know. Yeah. Um, well, you know, acknowledging the crowd, that was just great theatre and just great to be there, really, John. And, mm. um, yeah, it was full congratulations to everyone at the ATC at the time. You've worked with so many talented and professional people. It's difficult for you to nominate the biggest influences on your career. It's probably unfair of me, really, to even ask the question. But has there been a special mentor, a special inspiration? Um, oh, John, look, over the years, I, I certainly used to ring John Nicholson a bit mm. <laughs> and uh, probably drive him a bit mad. But um, <laughs> certainly the Sydney Turf Club, you know, John Nicholson and, and Michael Kenny were people that I could always lean on, ask advice. I have to say also Brian Fletcher over the years I'd ring now and again and say, gee, what would you do here and, and, and what do I need to do there? And they're always very good with their with their assistance and advice. So, mm-hmm. you know, off the top of my head, they're, they're guys that I would ring and 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 just check that I was doing the right thing. Um, every club was different that I went to and had different challenges. Mm. Um, but, look, I'm, you know, I look back with – I'm proud that, that I left – every club on good terms on, on for the right reasons and I still hold good relationships with, with people at those clubs. So, um, yeah, racing's a very dynamic beast and you, you have to be able to move with the times and I think I've been able to do that over the years but I certainly don't have a mortgage on ideas and I'm more than happy to pick up the phone and ring someone for advice when I think I need it. Mm. You're the proud dad of a 26-year-old daughter, Taryn who's currently living in Melbourne. Has she inherited your passion for racing? Not at all, John. No, mm. I can't say she has. Yeah. Uh, <coughs> she lived with me at Randwick um, for about 18 months and, and um, 
Um, she might have gone to the races once for a function or something, but no, no, no great interest. Um, very sporty though, very enjoys the sport, and she certainly enjoyed living at Randwick with me, the location. Um, went to uni there, but one thing led to another, and a, a job came up, a, a great job for her in Melbourne, and she went there, and I thought, oh, she'll last three months and she'll come home, but she's been there three years, and <laughs> I'm not sure that she'll ever come home, John, but but she's going well, and, yeah, she's um, very good to me as well. You've already spent 33 years doing what you regard as the dream job. You'd be shooting for 40 now, won't you? Well, I've never really planned too much, John. Things just happen, you know. I've never really – I can't say I plan things, um, but I'm very happy here. Look, it's only early days and certainly I want to do a good job here and it's a good, proud, historic club and I want to make sure that, that everything's in place and going well. We've just had our, well, uh, 17th standalone meeting, but my first one in charge and they're a great team here of staff. I was only here – um, a month leading up to the day and, mm. um, you know, they did a great job and we didn't need the rain at 9.30 in the morning, um, but they did a great job without – there was no real great – no incidents on the day that I, I have any concerns about. So I think over the next few years uh, there's some things we can improve and um, we'll look at our training facilities and, and over the, working with Race in New South Wales over the next few years, see if there is an opportunity for expansion. Mm. Uh, we'll look at our race program and see if we can, you know, increase our prize money on our standalone day and see if we can get a half million or a million dollar race here on, on, on that day would be wonderful. Um, and certainly the non non-racing stuff we do the team does a great job now we've got the ted mckay function center which is very popular in the region and there's going to be opportunities to increase our occupancy of that room so there's a few things we can improve but um look i'll just work hard as as i've always done and, and work here with the team and see where that takes us You've made a lot of friends in racing, James Heddo, and I'm very proud to be among them. Great to have you on a podcast produced by Supernova Sound. Thanks for your time. Good on you, Tappy. Yeah, it's, it's been great and I um, appreciate your support, mate. Mitovite has been producing high-quality feeds and supplements for all walks of equine life for almost 40 years. Mitovite has become a household name in racing and breeding circles with products like Athlete, Formula 3 and Breeder. Time-tested products in the breeding barn and on the racetrack. 26 thoroughbred Group 1 winners this season have been on a Mitovite feeding regime. From humble beginnings on the New South Wales Central Coast, Mitovite has become a world leader in equine nutrition. Infrastructure investment in the production mill and close attention to nutritional science keeps Mitovite at a standard of excellence developed over four decades. Check the website, mitovite.com, or follow the Mitovite Racing and Breeding Facebook page. The Mitovite brand has earned the respect of horse people all over the world.